0: Slow Burn Media Podcasts and the Mind of Bill Huffman presents Who Killed, a podcast that takes a deep dive into cases you may not have heard of and others that you may have. Previously on Who Killed the Atlantic City Four. This fits the FBI definition of a serial killing. Without any disrespect to Mr. Olson, uh, he, he's not Machiavelli, okay? he's
1: He was simply answering their questions. I think that he presented to them an
0: attractive target. Kimberly Raffo was a 35-year-old former PTA mom who moved from Florida to Atlantic City. Tracy Ann Roberts, 23, was from Delaware and moved to Atlantic City for a job dancing. Barbara Breider was 42, and 19-year-old Molly Diltz, the youngest victim, arrived in Atlantic City just two weeks before she was killed.
1: These were ladies who had a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle that uh, caused them to want to live below the radar
0: there are now growing similarities between the bodies found on Long Island and the bodies found near Atlantic City back in 2006. Those were four prostitutes who you see here. They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered. Police have never identified a suspect in these murders, but they have more than one person of interest and consider the case active. The question is, how many more and will they lead to a suspect? So far, there's not been the case. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? I am your host, Bill Huffman. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Nick from the wildly popular True Crime Garage podcast. We're going to discuss theories and suspects. And basically, he always has insight into these cases. So he is an excellent person to discuss Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? before we get into the case, let's take a quick recap. There have been very few suspects. All the victims' backgrounds involved drugs and prostitution. No law enforcement agency ever offered a reward for information leading to an arrest, a move that could have appealed to those most likely to see something, the drug users and prostitutes who spent their days and nights on the Pacific Avenue. The prime suspect was Terry Olison, who at one point was placed under 24-hour surveillance. But he has given his DNA, and as I mentioned previously in Part 1, he has been, for the most part, cleared in the case. Now, Olison's attorney believes detectives were so convinced that his client had committed the crime that they neglected to pursue other avenues. The first body found was Kim Raffo, 35, and that was on November 20th, 2006, three days before Thanksgiving. She was face down in a drainage ditch behind one of the seediest motels, the Golden Key Motel, in West Atlantic City. As I mentioned in part one, two women had the unfortunate experience of noticing her body while walking. The body was in a marshy dumping ground behind a strip of shady motels. The Golden Key was located just off of the Black Horse Pike near the eastbound Atlantic City Expressway, which we'll discuss later with Nick. Now, Rafa was clothed but shoeless, as was all the other victims. And just like all the other victims, her head was pointed east towards the Atlantic City skyline. And I only bring that up because they mention it in nearly every article that I have uh, read so basically the bodies of the four victims, two were able to be determined to have been asphyxiated and the other two were too decomposed to find a cause of death and the victims were Molly Jean Diltz Barbara Braider, and Tracy Ann Roberts now police believed the bodies had been placed there at different points in time but most likely within just a couple months. Now, forensic experts said that Raffo and Roberts had been in the ditch the shortest time, and they actually had been strangled. So, again, we were looking at a homicide. So, with that out of the way, and all those perfunctory bits of information, let's jump into my conversation with Nick and see how he feels about the case and whether or not he has any theories about who could have committed this crime. Thank you so much for joining me this week, Nick from True Crime Garage. How are we doing? Great. Thank you for having me. I do appreciate it once again. Uh, It's always a pleasure, and I'm sure the listeners are very happy to have you on as well. And, you know, this case is one of those cases that is just so bizarre because, in I wanted to talk to you about it because of the fact that it was such a headliner back when it first happened that, and then it quickly kind of dissipated. And Mm -hmm. is it because of the fact these women are all sex workers or is it, I mean the case, I mean, what's your thoughts on the case? I know that like, we're kind of just jumping in the middle of it, but.
1: Well, it disappeared from the headlines because the case went nowhere. The investigation goes nowhere. There's no more bodies you know, all we're left with is questions. So at some point you, you get tired of questions, you want answers. And that's why it disappears from people's minds, from their thoughts and from the headlines themselves. This is one of those cases that's, this. it's more common to all of a sudden realize that there was a serial killer in the area. You know, we watch movies and so often it's like the the police are hunting a known serial killer. Most of the time the way that it works is they find a bunch of bodies and realize there's some creep out there that's murdering people.
0: Yeah, what, very it, similar to what the Green River killer. I mean, they they didn't even know that was going on.
1: Right, until the body started to
0: Well, they found one and then they found like three more. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And the thing here with this case and with so with this one in particular, the reason why I think that it has let's say stopped, is I believe that this guy is killing within a very specific hunting ground. The issue being that the prey are easy prey because they live high-risk lifestyles, but they're only easy prey because they don't know that they're being hunted. These are smart women. These are street smart women. These are probably very tough women that we're talking about. Once they are aware that they are being hunted, it's a whole different hunting ground. And therefore, the he didn't just move on because of the heat from the police and the investigation. He also moved on because now it's going to be tougher for him to prey upon those same type of victims.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that the guy that committed the crimes was most likely... The thing that's so weird about it is the fact that these women were dropped at different times. Now, if they were all killed at one, you know, like it was a mass killing at one in one event, then I I would think about it differently. But the fact that they were kind of months apart, you know, it was almost sequential. And, you know, the the way that the bodies were lined up, there was some weird. You know, they, they kept saying, like, all oh, the bodies are facing towards Atlantic City. And, like, I, I don't know how much to read into that, uh, that kind of stuff. But the drifter idea, I mean, the guy left. Yeah, okay, he can't kill there anymore. So where did he go? And did he just turn it off, meaning his serial killer mindset?
1: No, he- I don't think that he turned it off. I mean, we're talking about rapid succession here. We're talking about a two-month time period and you've killed four people. You don't turn that off. what, What I question here is, has he done this before, these four? Probably. Was there something in his life that pushed him into increasing this? Because what I think I see here is somebody who's got strangulation and sex are all one thing to this guy. They're all wrapped up into one thing. And that is his thing. And that will continue to be his thing. Again, he's moved on because now he can't, he can't hunt within those same grounds. And it's not just because of the police. Sex workers are, are tough individuals. They have to be tough. Because if they're not tough, they don't survive. And it's not from being killed by a, a serial killer. It's just the nature of the streets. So these are very tough people and once he is outed he can't hunt within that same area anymore. But he's going to continue to rely on this same type of victim because it's very easy to get them into a vehicle, it's very easy to get them to a motel room or to his home, anything of that that type of nature. He's going to continue to do that. It's just
0: and that's one of the things that's weird about it. You mentioned like okay, he's going to take them to his home. Well, that's where he obviously took them or took them someplace other than the Golden Key where their bodies were found because there was no, they never found a, like an actual crime scene other than where the bodies were located, which is a crime scene in itself. But they never found where these crimes were committed.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't expect to see much of a crime scene given what we know or what we can infer from the the newspapers and the reports that are out there. This is either he killed them at the Golden Key Motel or he killed them in a vehicle. And that's, that's the troubling thing too. A lot of people will go immediately, your mind goes to, well, yeah, of course, he, got, he walked into a no-tell motel, rented a room for 18 bucks a night or something dirt cheap, and strangles her in the room, drags her out back, leaves her in this drainage ditch. It almost works better if you park behind there in a, in a vehicle and kill in the vehicle i mean bodies aren't easy to move right the other thing that i want to throw in here too is i feel like all right let's take this let's take this down a a road rather than just jumping around here so we can we can walk hand in hand together bill and and make discoveries along the way let's do it when you are profiling a case you really have to profile everything you're profiling the offender the victims the area and the situations all of that is key to what's going on here all of that is key to who our offender is the area this is the what black horse pike area mm-hmm. okay what do we have there we have state route 168 state route 42 us route 322 us route
0: 40 the expressway is right there it 's just it 's a hop skip from the from the hotel
1: this area and you have tourism not too far from here, so this area in itself is a transient type area where you would you would expect to see a lot of people coming and going. This could be drifters, this could be truckers, this could be any number of people that are moving around on top of that. what do we have at the center of this Investigation, we have the Golden Key Motel. There too lends itself to the same type of person transient truckers, all kinds of people. And let's face it, some of the best scum in the area as well. So those are what you have to be looking for. And when we profile our victims, we see drug addicted sex workers. Okay. What is their world? Their world revolves around coming and going whenever they please, working the streets, finding drugs. It's survival. What I'm getting at is your offender here is somebody that can easily move in and out of this world. He can move in and out of this transient area. He can move in and out of this sex worker drug addiction world. Why can he move in and out of that world so easily? Because he somewhat fits in that world. This is somebody that has, he's familiar with drugs. He's a drug user. He's a drug dealer. He has access to drugs. And I say that because when we look at the last victim, Kimberly Raffo, age 35, what's very interesting about her is she's the one that's going to lead you to this guy. She's the one that you have the most information on because it's such a quick turnaround between the time that she quote-unquote disappears and the time that her body is found. Right. She's your yellow brick road, your breadcrumb trail to the killer. What do we know about her? Well, we know that she was in some kind of, uh, I don't want to say relationship, but she was hanging out leading up to her disappearance with some doctor. They look into the doctor's background, they talk to the doctor, and it sounds to me like they've cleared
0: this guy. Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's only been one named suspect, and he was definitely not a doctor.
1: <laughs> so, the doctor tells the police, I'm hanging out with her, she tells me she's leaving to go get drugs. Well, what does that tell you? The doctor has no drugs. The doctor has money. What is a sex worker out there doing? They're looking for money and they're looking for drugs. And that's it and that's all. They don't care about the customers or any of you know the Johns or anything like that. They're looking for money and they're looking for drugs. She's only hanging out with the doctor because he has money. She only leaves the person who has money to go get drugs because the doctor does not have drugs. I think drugs is your connection and your power that this offender has over the victims. This is your way to lure them even into what they might consider to be a dangerous situation. These are very street smart women.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you, do you think that even with the knowledge that there was, like you said, he probably moved on to another area, but during the time that these women were disappearing, they probably, the women on the street were aware that, so-and-so wasn't there anymore and do you think that the drugs would have been enough of a factor to just been like screw it I'm taking my chance yes
1: and I I I go back to if they even knew that women were disappearing to begin with this is such a quick period of time we're talking the information I have shows about roughly two months from start to finish that's not a lot of time especially when we're dealing with drug addicts Uh, and here's the other thing with drug drug addicts, okay? Almost all of them, what do we hear? You know what? Tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna quit doing this shit. Next week I'm gonna get it together. And I I know I've been saying this for the longest time, but next week I'm gonna get it together. Don't be surprised if you don't see me out here on the streets here in a couple weeks because I made a phone call yesterday to someone. They're always getting it together. They rarely do. But they are always trying to get it together.
0: Yeah, like yeah, right. There's always a plan in place to make the next step and improve their lives. But they just got to have one last hit or one last night. And we know how that goes. It just it's sort of a never-ending night.
1: So if you and I, Bill, are hanging out on the streets together,
0: uh, you know, and we're... <laughs> Let's we're... hope we're not in Atlantic City because from my research, wow, a lot of people die there we're drug
1: addicted. We're not saying these people are bad people. No, no, that's not. This this is is what happens. This Mm -hmm. is, this happens. It happens a million times over. It's, it's unfortunate. Drugs are, are a horrible, horrible thing. And it's so easy to get hooked on a lot of these drugs, especially the ones when you look at the list with our four victims here. Mm -hmm. But let's say you and I are hanging out on the streets. We're addicted to drugs. and, And we've had some of the same conversations that I just said to you that, you know, next week I'm, I'm going to get it together. I've made a few phone calls. I got a place to stay. I blah, 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 blah. And you don't see me. You're probably going to assume, hey, Nick finally got it together. Good for him. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't see him back out here. So nobody's really missing. Nobody's really missing in this situation. You're hoping for the best. When you don't know that there's a serial killer operating in the area, what are these women afraid of? They're, they're street smart, but what they are worried about is being robbed, being raped or being beat up. Of course, there's always a threat of being killed. There's a threat of being killed walking across the street. But that's not the conversations that they have. That's not what's on their minds. It's not until the bodies start turning up that that's what they worry about. The best way to locate this individual, the offender, would be to, you need to work and become friends with the the streets and with the sex workers. That's the only way to find this guy. There's going to be other women that saw this guy with the women that are unfortunately no longer with us. And the problem with working with sex workers is it's on the, it's on law enforcement side, not on the sex worker side. The street people don't trust law enforcement who can blame them, but there are ways and there are people and personalities within law enforcement that can make, that can tear down those walls and can say, look, We aren't out here to make a little bust on somebody turning tricks or somebody who's got drugs in their pocket. We're looking for a very, very dangerous man. We're looking for a man who's going to kill, 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 kill. That's who I am after. You know what unit I'm from? Homicide. I don't care about your drugs. I don't care about anything else that's going on. We're working together for your safety and for the safety of this community.
0: It's definitely not, it's not their fault. I mean, it's drugs will do this. We've seen it a million times. You've seen it in a million of the cases that you've covered or at least read about that once it gets you, you know, get you. And like you said, I mean, that's such a good observation about having a plan in place and just not being able to pin down the fact that somebody's actually missing. Because, like you said, they're always, they're, they're like being, a, it's like they're at a party that is going to end that night. And you don't ever see your friends necessarily leave that party, but mm-hmm. you assume that they left and they got home safe and sound. It's kind of in that same vein. To simplify things so i can see i could totally see that being a case you know i made a offhanded remark about atlantic city being you know very violent but there that is an extremely you know you get off the strip it's it's i mean where the golden key was located is really shady
1: well and they were having problems at that motel but also every one of the motels around the golden key so yeah. it's not you know this the golden key may be worse just because we know there were victims Murdered victims found behind the establishment. Yeah, that whole area. That's look. So we have former mayor Jack Glassy. He is quoted as saying, "Toward the end, the Golden Key became home to crack addicts, prostitutes, and wackos." When people hear the name West Atlantic City, that's what they think of. And he's exactly right. Now they tore down the Golden Key Motel in 2015, which which is a shame because I was looking for somewhere adventurous to vacation and i was trying to decide between egg harbor township and golden key motel baghdad it looks like baghdad it is but um
0: i'll send you the link for the article for the reporter who actually did do that and reported on it and it is quite an interesting story and i believe it's called my night in hell at the golden key
1: (laughs) what's really a shame is it sounds like the community had to buy the motel to shut it down and destroy it yeah and they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's an expensive adventure, but you, you can destroy the building. That doesn't clean anything up. It's mm-hmm. the element that's coming into that building that you're trying to stay away from. So Columbus, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, for those listening that don't know. In Columbus, Ohio, we had a similar problem with some of some of our little pockets, especially like east side, north side. Well, actually, now that I think about it, it's all four sides. But there were these hotels and motels that were filled with sex workers, filled with drug addicts, and filled with violent individuals. And there was a lot of crime around these hotels and motels in these little pockets. And Columbus had a really interesting thing, that concept that they came up with to clean this up. Because what what most people don't understand is that the owner of that motel, the owner of that hotel, they have no – most of the time, they have no intention of cleaning anything up. They don't care as long as rooms are sold. They don't care as long as there's a population – that need that it serves. And so when you have when you have an establishment that's unwilling to police itself, that's willing to allow laws to be broken within its four walls and on its grounds constantly, it's tough to it's tough to really control that situation. So what Columbus did was they changed the hotel and motel licensing. So you have to, you have to hold a, a license to be an owner of a hotel or a motel. And what they do now is you have to renew those every year instead of getting a license that would last you, let's say five years or 10 years. The reason being is after a year, when you come to renew your license again, we're going to go, okay, well, how many police calls have gone to your establishment? How many times have we arrested, uh, busted indoors for drugs and, and picked up offenders in your area? And you're, you're allowing this to happen. When we see this happening over and over and over again, we know you are allowing this to happen at your establishment. So guess what, Bill Huffman, your seedy hotel that you're running, you do not get to renew your license this year. Man. And then that building sits there empty with nobody coming in and no income going into Bill Huffman's pocket for a whole year while you pay taxes on it and the property just sits there declining. And then, then you can come back a year from then and you can file again and, and reapply for your license. And if your record is good, we will issue your license and you're back up and running. You would be shocked at the success that that program has had here in Columbus. And I think that's something that really should be adopted everywhere.
0: Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi, true true crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She
1: but now we want to share them with you here on she goes by jane
0: and each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about can we say who we can say who we'll be joined by actresses like coco jones and gabrielle ruiz and musicians like stephanie Quayle and kelly moneymaker along with authors like louise penny and Catherine mckenzie so check out she goes by jane wherever you get your podcasts or check out evergreen podcasts and their true crime channel killer podcasts we can't wait to bring you these stories you know, it's it's really that's a very good point. I've I can even think about areas in Columbus, even when I've come down to see you. Um, areas where I remember there being kind of shady motels just off the highway off of 71 and Mm -hmm. you just you know there's there's newer there's better and what are these doing there they're basically just crime havens and it is good that there is something in place to you know kind of control that uh we actually had something similar i mean just in the city to the north no to the the north the south of me um to the north is lake erie that's not gonna work uh (laughs) i don't want to name the city but you know they had a bunch of A bunch of hotels and or no tell motels on their basically strip that they had to figure out how to get rid of. And I'm not exactly sure what they, you know, what route they went to get there, but I know that they've done that in a number of areas in the city of Cleveland. So I think there is sort of a push to limit that type of activity. Just to give you a little idea about that area, I was working at a liquor store at the time and we were one of the few hotels that still live, no-tell, motel, whatever it was, existed next door to this liquor store. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, you can imagine we had a very eclectic clientele. It's not there anymore, luckily. So I had some personal experience with just dealing with just that type of I mean, it's it's a really it's a bad problem. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm also not saying that everybody should be able to afford a hundred dollar night motel and not saying that there's anything wrong with that. It's just the No,
1: but the reason why the place is a problem is not because it's cheap. It's a problem because people are going there not for the reasons that somebody goes to a hotel that costs $100 a night. Most of them have very little intention of staying there for a night. If they are staying there for a night, it's because they want to get blacked out, drunk, or drugged up and shoot up. And again, the the issue is we all know of these types of hotels or motels and we go, oh, that place sucks, or I wish they wouldn't let so many dirt bags in there. But in reality, the place sucks because the owner says, you know what? This is my clientele, and I'm making money, so I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, it was exactly. I, what they was
1: gonna, they're condoning the bad behavior that's going on there because it puts money in their pockets. And until you change the owner, you're not going to change the the people going in there or the activities going on in and around that property.
0: And I think if you look at the area where it is where they tore down the Golden Key, I mean, it's not like they've tore it down and put something like like a shopping mall or something else. It's just a big empty lot now. Right. I mean, it's like okay, it's gone, which is great because there's no other place to stay but man i mean i think that just whole that the whole area is just so depressed it's it's sad
1: well and i'll tell you what i want to give that former mayor jake glassy a little bit of credit too because this is not a former mayor that lives in some fancy neighborhood that's just that's just condemning an area from my understanding this guy lives like blocks away so he's he's living it you know he's living in it and he it seems like he's led the the charge against and for cleaning up that area so
0: anytime you have uh somebody who's willing to take that on because i mean you do have to deal with a a lot of owners that basically are going to say hey you're trying to get rid of a place for low-income people and it's not what the goal is. The goal is to clean up the area to Mm -hmm. a degree where people feel safe to be staying. The title was uh, the motel from hell, by the way, in the article and I'll send it to you and I'll post it in the the link in the, uh, in the show notes. But the, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just a blight. And there's so many of those across the country. Just, I mean, you think about all the different cities and, I mean, yeah, we can think about New York City. We can think about blah, blah, blah. They've all got fabulous hotels, this, that, and the other. But think about middle America. Like you mentioned Columbus. Yeah, Columbus was probably a haven for that type of thing, but... What happens when you get south of Columbus or you get towards West Virginia or you move towards closer to the Mississippi? I mean, it's that's, I think, a reason why a lot of our country deals with opiates and meth issues. And, you know, these places can be used for so many different things. It's not just a hotel. I wish it was but that's just my two cents on that one i didn't you know, right. get on my soapbox but you know as far as the suspects go what's your thought on uh on the oleson character terry oleson who was staying there i mean you know he uh, did you see that he had been charged with filming his
1: yeah he's a bit of a voyeur and he yeah
0: he's a creepy guy
1: um he's funny for several <laughs> reasons one this is not the first time that we've seen a woman scorned call the police and say hey My boyfriend, husband, ex-husband is a serial killer investigate him, you know, um, I believe that was uh, the happy face killer, Keith Jesperson. He, there was somebody arrested for one of the murders that he committed because a woman was upset with her boyfriend and called the police and say, hey, my boyfriend killed this woman. And so it, we've seen this plenty of times. We saw it when we discussed Amy Maholovic that there were plenty of ex-wives or girlfriends or whomever that would call police and say, hey, my so-and-so that I was once in a relationship Looks like the guy that you're looking for. It looks like the composite sketch. Right. I'm not saying that it's not Olson. It seems to me like he's been fairly cooperative, even though he is a creep. He's been fairly cooperative and upfront about uh, somewhat helping. I mean, he's provided his DNA, he's answered questions to the police. He's telling police, in my opinion, reading between the lines here, I think he's telling police, yes, I'm a creep, I'm a dirtbag, I I videotaped or, or took snapshots of my girlfriend's daughter undressing, but I'm not a guy that would go out and kill four women. So I feel like it's not him. I feel like he's an interesting little story along the way here, but it's not him. I actually like this other guy a little bit more, but the problem with the other suspect that's been named, there doesn't seem to be much information out there. If there is, there's not much that I could find.
0: So there, so the, what I was able to find was Christina Corbin from FoxNews.com had spoken with a prostitute named Denise Hill. She was, you know, like a, self-identified sex worker and she she had brought up the name Eldred Raymond Burchell who called himself the river man she thought well that's odd because that's what they called the green river killer and yada 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 so she says the sex worker says that that she believes he's the one that killed it and that he also confessed to her again there's really that's it that's all like that's one article and everything I've seen is that the two people you see some articles where only one suspect's been named but then you see in wikipedia obviously and then you see it in foxnews.com and like there are other people that have been named but those are the only two that have really been put out in the press and the police have kind of gone and said they're not the guy and especially since olison turns dna in i mean he didn't i mean he was a creep but i think it's ironic that he's sitting there and there's four bodies right behind his hotel that's just kind of like, what do you think about the dump, like that area, like where he was dumping the bodies? I mean, if he wasn't doing it at the Golden Key, do you think he just felt comfortable doing it there? I mean, or or did you think that he was hoping because what I had read one time about this case was the different thing between the Long Island serial killer and the Atlantic City killer is that the Atlantic City killer wanted to get caught just the way that they left the bodies okay so talk about this
1: no let's address that first okay the atlantic city killer whatever we want to call him he he does not want to get caught he just doesn't care so much if the bodies are found right and that the reason being is for likely two reasons one he has very little connection to these women. There's not going to be anything other than a potential eyewitness that saw one of these victims get into a specific vehicle or saw this man with them leading up to their murder. That's the only connection. That's the only thing that's ever going to connect this guy to the victims. In the case of the Long Island serial killer, there could be trails left. There could be digital trails and digital footprints and thumbprints left along the way in those cases. As we know that there was was a a different way for the killer in Long Island to connect with the would-be victim than what we have here. What I see here is somebody that's meeting somebody on the streets, face-to-face meeting, let's do this, let's do that, and move forward with our arrangement. Yeah. And so neither one of these serial killers want to get caught there. I actually believe, you know, there's always been that, that myth that all somewhere down deep inside, they all want to get caught. And that's why they communicate with police or that's why they do this or that, or the other thing. No, that's wrong. Okay. In my opinion, the overwhelming majority of these guys do not want to get caught. Why? Because it stops them from what they love doing the most. Killing people. If, if yeah, if I put you behind bars, who's your potential victim? Some other dude. And a lot of these dudes, a lot of these serial killers are are, are very weak individuals anyway they they may put off some kind of type of persona but they they don't have a strong opinion of themselves nor much confidence in themselves in their in their regular life and that's why they prey on women and children i put them behind bars and a lot of them a lot of these serial killers it's sexual in nature so many of them it's it's a sexual oriented crime their whole reason that they're doing this is because sex and killing the fantasy of that has all been wrapped up in one. It's all one to them. It's one thing. And if you put that person behind bars, they can't do that anymore. They can't do what they enjoy or what they fantasize about the most. So most of them do not want to get caught. Simply put, he kept putting the women in this drainage ditch because the first time he did it, he got away with it. No. Yeah. There's no reports. Nobody said anything to him. Hey, somebody found a body here. No, that didn't happen. So as a matter of convenience, you just do it again. And then what happens? They find the four bodies, boom, no more bodies. The the question I have for you, and and I'm sure there's probably somebody out there listening that could better answer this than, uh, well, I shouldn't say better answer than you, because I don't know your knowledge of the case. But one thing I found weird, and, and you and I've spoke to this before, when you look into some of these cases, things that certain details of the case should be just how they are, but they can be reported different ways. I saw several reports that stated that the women were found face down. So and then the, there's they, other reports where they were like propped up, and I'm guessing that means like in a, almost in a sitting position.
0: The way that I interpreted those uh, descriptions was they were they were laid on their stomachs and their heads were facing towards the city, like the downtown Atlantic City. Again, I don't know how much, you know, to wait to put into that observation from the police, but it's just one of those things that is referenced in so many different freaking articles. And I don't know if it's just a talking point that they just kept saying over and over again in in a press conference, which you find a lot of times the same things because that's what they'll they'll do, like concentrate on this. And so Mm -hmm. you find a lot of the same articles Focused on the same thing.
1: I really like John Kelly, and I think that what's fascinating on this case too is his his profile. His what's the name of his company? Stock.
0: Yeah, Stock.
1: So Stock. He's him and his friends, and these are all reputable law enforcement, former law enforcement individuals, and they've sat together and talked about this killer and talked about the victims in the area, and have come up with a rather extensive profile on this individual and i like john kelly's work what i'm wondering here and i don't i don't know the answer to this is what information does kelly have and his team have to formulate this profile is it just the same as you and i where we're reading newspaper articles and whatever's been released to the public or does he have direct info from the investigation itself
0: yeah that's kind of the way that i feel about it i think that he i think he's probably got an inside source i know a couple articles i read on new jersey.com that there were some people in the uh, police force that were talking but they were not being named obviously so that leads me to believe that there is you know, not, I don't want to say a leak because that makes it sound like he's doing something wrong, but somebody that he's getting information from. Now, the thing about Kelly, which I find so odd, and this is something that I was wondering if you think this is weird, there was never a reward offered for any information on this case until Kelly got involved. Eight years after the fact Or six years after the fact Or whatever it was But it was years after the fact You could have offered a reward There was not even Like they gave one press conference About it about the whole case that's it i don't think
1: i don't think a lot of that has any direct relationship to any of these events have any direct relationship to any other event i, I really feel sometimes in these types of situations the reward money comes about because there's nothing going on with the investigation mm-hmm. and it's just a way of one putting it back in the paper and back in the news and it's also your witnesses, your potential witnesses here, could very easily be motivated by twenty-five thousand dollars.
0: That's where I was kind of going with that. And, that's just and
1: people that may not trust law enforcement might be willing to trust law enforcement for twenty-five thousand right. dollars. It's the same. It's the same as what we just spoke about about the about the poor woman out on the, on the street that is going to have to take on a John for the afternoon or for a couple of hours. What is she afraid of? Before these bodies turn up, she's afraid of being robbed, raped, or beat up. Right? Guess what? Oh, dangerous situation? I'm too smart to put myself in a dangerous situation. Oh, you want to tie me up? Oh, you're into choking and you want to put something around my neck while we're having sex? Oh, I don't do that. Oh, not only do you have money, but you also have drugs too, the drugs that I love? Go ahead, put that thing around my neck. It's the same it's it's the motivator. It's the it's the it's the cheese in the mouse trap, man. And I I really believe that this offender walks in and out of this world very easily. He fits into this world. If they were staying at the motel, we're not talking about I know we keep calling it a no-tell motel, but guess what, dude? You own this place and people are turning up dead. You better tell us something. But the owner has nothing to say because if they are staying there, the victims fit the motel, the offender fits that motel. Nothing stood out about him. Kim Raffo, the turnaround time between she was last seen and when she turns up dead behind the motel is, is so quick. What is it, 24, 48 hours, something like that?
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty
1: there's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. So if they stayed at that motel and if this dude stood out, if this was if this dude was a doctor, if this dude was a, a, a big time lawyer who goes and slums it every now and then the vehicle would stand out. The vehicle would stand out. His appearance would stand out. His clothing would stand out absolutely this is a dude that fits in this world he looks like a drug addict because he is he looks like somebody that stays in a 15 a night motel because he does even when he's not killing his vehicle that stayed parked behind the motel while he was dumping a body in your drainage ditch doesn't look out of place because there's been vehicles that look just like that one in that same area he fits the world and that's why he also doesn't stand out to the other working girls he doesn't have a name or a reputation within those circles. If he did, they would know about him. Gary Ridgway didn't he was going back to the same street walkers over and over and over again for decades. And guess what? Nobody ever reported him to police, even though the girls were working with police on the on the down low. They never reported him because his vehicle fit into the area. He fit into the area. He didn't look menacing. And guess what? If he threatened any of these women, he made sure that he he damn made sure that he killed them. They didn't go back and report it to any of their friends. The thing that scares me about this other guy, Mm -hmm. uh, Birchall, Eldred. I'm looking for his name here. I have it. It's Eldred
0: Raymond Birchall.
1: The thing that scares me about him is what very little we know about him is a lot of what I've been saying. He's in the world. He's reported by another by another sex worker.
0: Yeah, and the last report of him from that sex worker is from that same article is that his whereabouts are currently unknown.
1: Right, because he's had to move on to another hunting ground. And for him to call himself, if this is in fact true, if he's calling himself the river man, that is scary in itself. That's not, you know, the Green River killer is what most people on the streets or most people would would know Gary Ridgway to be the Green River Killer. He doesn't call himself the Green River Killer or the River Killer. Mind you, these bodies, the four Atlantic City victims are all found in or near water. And he's going around calling himself the River Man. The River Man was the name that Ted Bundy gave to Gary Ridgeway before Gary Ridgway was known to be the Green River Killer because we all know Ted Bundy wanted to manipulate the system and save his own ass and and to avoid the death penalty as long as he possibly could well one of one of his ploys to do such was contacting police and saying hey I'll help you find that river man
0: and on that note we are going to end this week's episode of Who Killed the Atlantic City Four stay tuned For next week's episode, part three of Who Killed the Atlantic City Four, where Nick and I conclude our conversation. Again, we ended up talking for a significant amount of time, so it was better to break it into two episodes. So, again, I really do appreciate you guys tuning in this week. And, again, if you want to support independent journalism, you can donate uh, via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3 or you can always donate on the Who Killed Maholovic.com website. There is a donate button on the right-hand side. Any amount is appreciated and it really does help keep this show running. So if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It does help keep the show in the spotlight, and all the cases that I cover. If you'd like to stay up to date on some of these cases, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. The FBI would like to know if you have any new information leading to the arrest and conviction of the Atlantic City 4, you can contact them by calling 1-800-CALL-FBI. The Atlantic City Prosecutor's Office is also taking tips And I will provide their information in the show notes. So thank you again for listening this week. And thank you again for Nick for joining me in the studio. And thank you guys for listening. And until next time, please be safe.